is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, January 23, 2021, American history. Joe Biden, what a tough job he has. Our troubadour has the perfect song. Give me this job. He took it. He understands the dignity of work, and God willing, that will pull us out of it. But first, what about accountability for Donald Trump? The trial of the century, we will cover it here. It starts with David Lane, world-renowned criminal defense, civil liberties lawyer, David Lane and Craig's Lawyer's Lounge at the outset. Then the troubadour with his song, Give Me This Job, Perfect. Samantha Cook is a Republican. She's a mom, a soccer mom, dare I say, a few kids a business, a husband, and she believes in a lot of Trump beliefs. And we talk it out, and it gets interesting. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. David, welcome back to the lounge. Thank you, thank you. I think it's an amazing time in American history. You are a fascinating character. Let me thumbnail that you grew up in Denver. You made your way to New York. You've been around a little bit, but you came back to Denver where you've been a massively successful and controversial lawyer in the Mile High City. You have a great law firm. And it appears to me you are happy, you are fearless. I've watched you battle Bill O'Reilly on national TV and kick his ass on his own show. So you are legendary, and people want to know what you think about things. Well, Craig, I appreciate all of those kind words. You have delusions of my grandeur, but that being said, I do have an entertaining practice of law, if nothing else. Tell everybody about the Denver part of your upbringing. Wasn't it kind of like mine, a Southeast Denver Jew? Yeah, I grew up in Denver. I'm a George Washington High School graduate. Back in the 60s, there were race riots going on at George Washington High School. The high school was shut down for six weeks. It made national news media, police in the halls, shots being fired. And those were turbulent times also, Craig. The Vietnam War was raging. Civil rights was on the table. Denver was in the middle of it all. And you are the age, I believe, of my late great brother, Bill. And he had to worry about the Vietnam War. I worried about it. And I was three years behind you guys. Very interesting times. You know, I've often said one of the smartest moves the politicians in America ever made was to abolish the mandatory draft. Because back when I was 18 years old, every man and woman who turned 18 in those days, literally had to sit down and confront their relationship with their government. 
am I going to subject myself to the draft or am I going to resist? Every single one of us had to face that question. And, you know, once the draft was eliminated, it opened the door for endless wars fought by volunteer soldiers. And we've seen that going on for decades here in America now. And there is no unrest in the streets because no one is being forced to do it involuntarily like they were in Vietnam. So the public kind of shrugs off these endless wars and says, well, hey, all these guys are volunteers, so whatever. Well, one thing about Trump, he didn't get us involved in a lot of endless wars. Are you going to give him credit for that? You know, I give him credit for almost nothing, but I do give him credit for that. I give him credit for what he's done in the Middle East. He has made progress in the Middle East. Beyond that, I don't give him credit for really much of anything at all. Wow, just that you give him credit. I think there have been some dirty deals with Saudi Arabia that involved assassinating Khashoggi, don't you think? But it's worth it. Well, you know, uh, you can't balance one against the other. Making peace with various Arab countries with Israel is always a step in the right direction. I give Trump credit for that. The list of negatives far far exceeds any positives, but those are positives. No endless wars, no wars of any kind, really. I mean, the closest we got was to bombing a couple of empty airstrips in Iraq. But other than that, give them credit for no wars and helping the peace process in the Middle East. What about this civil war that he's instigated in America? Do you think that's going to burn out pretty easy, or do you think it's going to spread? And Well, you know, it is very interesting to me. I mean, history really, really is something that people, if they don't know it, then they will relive it over and over and over again. I mean, it's very interesting. You go back to the 60s in America, the Democrats owned the South back in the 60s. The guys like George Wallace, all these arch segregationists and racists were all Dixiecrats. And the only reason that the South was voting Democrat back in those days is because Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. And my daddy didn't vote Republican. His daddy would never vote Republican. No Southerner would ever vote Republican because Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. And finally... Lyndon Johnson, in signing the 1964 Civil Rights Act, finally caused the South to break away from the Democrats. And up until then, the Democrats had made a deal with the devil, which is we're going to support all these Southern rednecks and segregationists because for us to win an election, it takes all those rednecks voting with all of us up north. And that's how the Democrats maintain power. And Lyndon Johnson was warned, hey, you stay in bed with these Dixiecrats, you're taking a morally indefensible position, and if you cut them loose, we're never going to win another national election. Well, the Democrats regrouped. The Republicans now are making their deal with the devil. You've got the fiscal conservative branch of the Republican Party, you know, the Romneys and the Sasses and the responsible people in the Republican Party who are good, decent people, and they've made a deal with the crazy right-wing militia part of the Republican Party. 
And now we're at a crossroads for the Republicans. Do they cut these lunatics loose and let them go start the Patriot Party like they're threatening to do? Or do they continue to make a deal with the devil and continue to back the racist policies of Donald Trump? Well, he's the chief lunatic. I mean, we can't escape it. Everybody talks around it. But how do you prosecute anybody who stormed the Capitol without prosecuting him? I agree. What about that defense that the Trump insurrectionists are offering? Hey, he told us we could go. He said he'd be there with us. And some of them really did think like that Ashley Babbitt who lost her life. She believed that Trump was going physically and metaphorically, and she was doing his bidding, and she lost her life. And if she hadn't, she would have been charged with major crimes. It's true. It's unbelievable that he's, again, individual one, right? He's the guy who's making this happen. True. And it comes down to the words he said. And some of his defenders, it bothers me because they were friends of mine and they have microphones and they say, well, you know, it was the Republicans who passed that Civil Rights Act that David Lane and Craig are talking about. Well, yeah, they joined a lot of them back when there were moderate Republicans and there were Dixiecrats who were against it. But that was then, this is now, those George Wallace contingent, they've all become Trump voters and the base of the Republican Party. That's what's happened in our lifetime. I'm younger than you, but I remember how scared I was of the ascendancy of George Wallace. But thank God he got defeated and the Democrat Party is not going to be like that. But they've reemerged under Trump. You're right. It's exactly right. It's a role reversal. And so it'll be an interesting crossroads. What are the Republicans going to do? I mean, I'm reading the New York Times, the failing New York Times, that there's a lot of behind the scenes lobbying going on to get Mitch McConnell to come out and impeach Trump. Lindsey Graham is out there saying it is suicide for the Republican Party to convict Donald Trump. I don't think it's suicide. It may be a transmogrification of the Republican Party, where there finally is a split, where the crazy Trumpers become members of the Patriot Party and physically conservative Republicans who are responsible but are not crazy, maintain the Republican Party as we know it used to be. This is a beautiful discussion because, first of all, you are smarter than me. You demonstrated that by opposing Donald Trump in the first place. You were one of the guys who came on right after he was elected and said, this isn't going to work. I remember that. Take a victory lap. How did you know? (laughs) Craig, you know, you don't have to be Nostradamus to have predicted Donald Trump. But this bad. And you know what? He had a decent first. Well, no, he did shitty things. And we can say that on the podcast. Go ahead. Yes. I mean, look, he told us who he was. He was. He was a birther before he became a candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I lived in New York City from 1980 to 1987. I was a public defender in Brooklyn for those seven years. Donald Trump was constantly in the media back in those days in New York City, basically talking about who he's dating these days. He was viewed in New York City in those days as sort of a low-level, rich douchebag who was kind of annoying 
but he was who he was. I mean, when the Central Park Five were exonerated on horrific rape charges where they had been wrongly convicted, he still called for the death penalty for these guys. Okay, now we have to back up just a little bit. And this is beautiful because you and I are old enough to remember when certain terms were invented, especially in the criminal justice world, and also things that emanated out of talk radio where I was in the belly of the beast for quite a while. If you are a birther, are you per se a racist? You are per se a conspiracy theorist. And those two go together. Conspiracy theories and racism, that's for sure. Yes. I mean, it's not a coincidence that the only presidential candidate whose roots of origin are ever questioned are an African-American man's. And Trump is a racist. He got sued in New York when he was a landlord for racial discrimination. He ended up paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to settle that case. He just did not have to be Nostradamus to see that Donald Trump was going to be a disaster for America. John Caldera is a friend of mine and a former client of mine. He runs the Independence Institute. He's a smart guy. I said, John, you're too smart to believe in Trump. He goes, well, when he got elected, I I said to myself, I'm only going to judge him on the things he signs his name to, policy, policy, policy. And I like his policies. And my response was, policy is one aspect of leadership. But if you're going to be the president of the United States, leadership qualities count, not just policy. You know, I can have a disagreement over policy. Should the education budget be expanded or contracted? Should the prison budget be expanded or contracted? Those are policy issues. But you then get into morality issues. Like, am I a racist? Am I not a racist? And that brings us back to the Central Park Five. And I wanted to discuss that with you because do you remember what term was born of that crime? They, uh, and Donald Trump was one of the people who birthed the term. It was called wilding. Exactly. And do you remember the Twitter invitation he gave to the people for January 6th? Yeah, it's going to be a wild time. It's going to be wild. I want to prosecute this guy. I want to make these points. And I'm not going to let the Republicans hold this country hostage. Everybody who's charged with major crime would like to cut a deal. But guess what? You don't have any bargaining power. It's all on videotape. And we've got a lot more because some people are starting to squeal. David Lane, you're an experienced federal practitioner. Isn't the FBI, especially under Merrick Garland now, aren't they going to be telling people how much time they face, telling their lawyers and, and saying, tell me, Mr. Proud Boy, did you have contact with Roger Stone? Isn't that going on right now? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. As ZZ Top says, they're bad and nationwide. That's (laughs) what I always refer to the FBI as. They're bad and nationwide. They know how this works. And the FBI has a history of trying to work up the chain. They're really not that interested in, in netting the little fish. The little fish are always squeezed to give information on the bigger fish. So... All these defense attorneys for all these people charged with capital riots, you know, they're being approached by the U.S. attorney's offices and they're being told, hey, 
you know, tell us who you were in communication with. Who organized any of this? Were you just there or was this part of an organization? They'll work their way up the chain. Right. And the obligation of a lawyer, tell me if I'm wrong, but once we get an offer, like a prosecutor says, your client can get 10 years and it's open for 24 hours, we better get busy. We need to convey that offer and discuss it with sure. our client, right? Absolutely. So I think a lot's going on behind the scenes. Are you rooting for the FBI in this one instance? That's <laughs> what I joke with my friends about. It's like Donald Trump has turned my entire world upside down. I keep saying, you know, go, go Mueller, go Mueller. Come on, FBI. Come on, FBI. You know, I've spent my entire career as a defense attorney in criminal cases working against them as a civil rights lawyer. You know, we go after abusive law enforcement, but Donald Trump has me rooting for the FBI and the Justice Department and the Attorney General, <laughs> these special prosecutors. It's kind of funny. Donald Trump makes for strange bedfellows. I mean, the Lincoln True. Project was pretty darn good. Yeah. I'm a centrist like Joe Biden. How would you describe yourself? Are you progressive or are you super progressive? People ask me, I mean, I've represented every conceivable kind of person. I've represented the KKK in their efforts to get a marching permit on Martin Luther King's birthday. I've represented black militant groups that want to have open carry parades. My client is the Constitution of the United States of America, and if the government is trying to violate your constitutional rights, I don't care what your politics are, they're violating my constitutional rights too. And so that is the touchstone for deciding what cases we take. Well, that brings us to this trial of the century, and Donald Trump comes to you and says, you know what, David Lane, I've heard of you. I used to watch you kick my buddy O'Reilly's ass. I want you, I need you, because that speech I gave on the morning of January 6th, on the ellipse, I want you to defend that, just like you defend people's free speech. They want to charge me with a crime. This guy Silverman's ranting and raving, and you know how crazy he can get as a prosecutor. Well, let me just say this, Craig. I've actually thought about that very thing. And here is my take on all of that. In order to convict Donald Trump in the Senate, they have to convict him of a high crime, meaning a felony, or a misdemeanor. And igniting an insurrection is a little bit more difficult to prove than people think. You know, there are many things that ignite people. And in order to have protected speech under the First Amendment, you can call for violence. That's protected speech. Hate speech is protected speech. People don't understand this. The only speech that is not protected is if there is a clear and present danger of imminent violent reaction. So in order to convict Donald Trump, they have to prove that he could reasonably have foreseen that the words he was speaking presented a clear and present danger of imminent violence against law enforcement at the Capitol. And Donald Trump's defense is going to be, look, I was giving a political speech. I never told anybody storm the Capitol. I never told anybody go into the building. 
I never told anybody, go kick the cops around. I didn't do any of that. The fact that the crowd became ignited was not because of me. There were people who were there, that was their agenda from the get, was not my agenda. And the fact that I gave a speech and then people went out and did things, there's a disconnect between the speech I gave and the actions undertaken by people who had planned to do these things well in advance of any speech I ever gave. This is why Donald Trump is going to hire you and probably had that kind of advice. And this guy's always pushing the boundaries. And a smart guy like you told him, you know, sir, if you give this speech at the Capitol, that might make it imminent. But if you're a mile away, that mile walk is not imminent. And we know imminent means just about to happen. And it, it'll right. take him 15 minutes to get there. Right. I don't know. But should he be convicted in the Senate? Put down your lawyer hat. Put your senatorial hat on. You know, they are not bound by the rules of evidence. They are not a criminal tribunal. If I were asked to defend Donald Trump in a criminal case, I'd do it because I believe every American is entitled to have the government put to their proof. And my job as a criminal defense lawyer is... If you want to convict my client, and you can do it within the rules of evidence, within the constitutional boundaries set by our, our U.S. Constitution, have at it. But I'm going to make you prove your case to a jury of 12 people unanimously beyond a reasonable doubt. And if you can't do it, I don't care how guilty this guy is. He's walking out the door because if they can convict my client without following the Constitution, they can convict anybody. And that's my job. My job is to control your government. But that's the way you choose to do your job. I mean, I hope you don't look down on me that I would prefer not to represent Donald Trump. No, 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 not at all. But I'm saying in a Senate impeachment, that's not a criminal trial. I advocate his arrest and incarceration. I think fair is fair. Let's hold him accountable. That's what I'm looking forward to. How do you size up this impeachment trial? Because the Senate can't come up with whatever rules they want. But it's got to seem fair, and we know what fair is sure. because we have a long history of jurisprudence. I wrote a column this week saying, Tim McVeigh, I didn't know who blew up that building. FBI swooped in. Merrick Garland supervised brilliant prosecution. I followed it. The case was overwhelming. He was convicted. I know David Lane doesn't like it, but he was put to death four years thereafter. The trial was in Denver. And I have confidence in the judicial system. Put right. on the evidence, make the American people understand what Donald Trump did. And sure. isn't this the chance to hold him accountable? Yeah, absolutely. The evidence is going to be the evidence in the Senate trial, for sure. You know, and, the, and it'll give the American public a good chance to see it. And hopefully, Trump will have good advocacy going in to give his side of the story. But it is, at the end of the day, nothing but political theater in the Senate. You know, I mean, you could have Donald Trump on video throwing a bomb into the Capitol building and most Republican senators still would not convict because they are not worried about the truth. They are worried about their political futures. So it'll give the American public a chance to actually see the evidence and they can make up their own judgments. 
And these sycophants and bootlickers like Lindsey Graham and Tuberville and all their ilk will vote to acquit and maybe they'll pay the price in their next elections. Oh, you want us to swoop back to the House and we're going to talk about Lauren Boebert. David Lane has brought a case against Lauren Boebert. We're going to talk about that. But I guess I was the only guy watching that first impeachment trial. They wouldn't allow any witnesses or evidence, but Adam Schiff became the guy I want to grow up and be just like him because he was so eloquent. He warned about this almost like David Lane did even before then. So I think this one with Schumer in charge, it can be like the West Wing or the best production ever because it's all on videotape. There are timelines and the guy is indescribably guilty. Plus, you throw a little seasoning in. Now, in Frank Rodriguez's case, you got involved with on appeal. How do we get a death penalty? Well, they did atrocious things to Lorraine Martelli. But in the penalty stage, we got to introduce what he did to George Stapleton, who he robbed and shot five times. And George drove to the hospital, saved, thank God, testified against Frank Rodriguez. And the jury who heard, you know what I'm saying? And then the jury was really pissed off. So isn't that what you need to win over America and 67 senators? You need a little something extra. The Proud Boys are getting paid by the Trump organization. If you've got that, you know, that'll be helpful. But, you know, expecting a bunch of Republican sycophants to do the right thing is a fool's hope. What's interesting is you raised Frank Rodriguez, one of the prosecutors from the House that's going to be prosecuting Donald Trump is a good friend of mine, Diana DeGette. Diana DeGette is the congressional representative from Denver. I used to share office space with Diana DeGette before she ever went into politics, and she and I were both criminal defense attorneys. Diana DeGette represented Chris Rodriguez, who was Frank Rodriguez's brother. And Diana DeGette is an extremely experienced trial lawyer who can cross-examine witnesses very eloquently and effectively. She got a life sentence for Frank's brother, Chris. And so she is well aware of, of how to go about nailing Donald Trump. And I'm looking forward to her as a skilled cross-examiner helping out with the impeachment process in the Senate. We want the Colorado College together. Okay. Diana was a public defender. What a role reversal. Could you do that? I mean, well, that's funny, too, because I texted her when she was named one of the House impeachment managers. I said, well, good luck. She says, well, I'm surprised to hear you supporting me in my new role as prosecutor. So we laughed about that. Well, tell her Craig supports her, too. Anyway, but the thing is, I heard her on CNN. She said, you know, it's it's a slam dunk case. We get files on our desk. In some cases, you know, there's a lot to argue about, but some there's not that much. I think there's a ton of evidence against Trump. Well, I mean, they're they're going to expand this. It's not just the speech he gave prior to the insurrection. It is the entire fraud of the election was stolen. It's the big lie. It's the big lie that was Third Reich like. And exactly. Still, and they've alleged it as part of the pleading by referencing yes. Rappensburger call. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I agree. So they're going to expand it. And this is all an orchestration by Trump. 
to cause an insurrection. They will certainly have a majority in the Senate, whether they can convince 17 Republican sycophants who have no consciences and only are concerned with political expediency to do the right thing. Won't they follow public opinion? They will, but public opinion in these incredibly red places like Alabama. If you make it so entertaining that everybody wants to watch every night and you build a big climax and the whole country, not everybody, but people will be glued to it. And most people will agree he's guilty. Most people voted for Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump became president. No, but I'm talking about 75, 80 percent of the country say, whoa, I didn't know he did that. You know, I, I agree, but they do know. And the one, another thing, the one time Donald Trump ever told the truth was when he said, I could shoot somebody on Fifth I Avenue know. and not lose a single vote. And that is the truth in Alabama, in, the, in Wyoming. You know, it's like, What's okay. What's up with that? What causes he, that? He led an insurrection. We don't give a damn. Vote to acquit, or I'm not voting for you. You know, Liz Cheney, it'll be so interesting to see what happens to Liz Cheney in 2022. Are the people of Wyoming proud of her for, for standing up and telling the truth, or are they pissed at her for going against their idol, Donald Trump? Wyoming is the reddest state in the union. Right. They got so pissed, the Republicans censored her, and they're talking about secession. Right. I mean, so, you know, all of the great evidence in the world isn't going to sway the Trumpers. You just told me if I could show some money flowing to terrible oath keepers. You know, a lot of this flows out of Denver, Colorado, and I think that's going to come out. That's the way I'd take it on. That's what I did with serial rapists. You don't start with one victim after another, none of whom are positive or this or that. Just start with their defense. If they put forth a bullshit alibi, I would call their witnesses. Oh, you're the sister. You can say for sure that he couldn't have done it on this day, that day because of this or that. And then just blow it up because it was a provable lie. And if you start that way, and I think it starts with Dominion Systems in Denver, Colorado, a scapegoat that was perfect because they're in a lot of states. Find somebody on social media who has anti-Trump stuff. That could be me. And then say he's Antifa and he fixed the election. Chase the guy out of town and build up the rumor on Denver Broadcasting. And then it goes national. And then Trump saying it's this company out of Denver. I'm telling you, that's where this river started. Well, you know, I'm sure these are very skilled house impeachment managers. Diana DeGette being extremely skilled. I've seen her in court. She's wonderful. So it'll be fascinating. But like I said, they could have a videotape of Trump throwing a bomb into the Capitol and the majority of Republican senators would not vote to convict. It'll be fascinating. What if people start flipping? You know, once he's off the throne and Mitch McConnell has as much as said, hey, he caused all this crap. So right. really, Mitch, now you're going to let him go? He came to burn down your building and they would have done something to Mitch, too. Don't you think he's thinking about that? What are the Tommy Tubervilles of the Senate? 
you know, the Josh Hollies of the Senate, you know, the Ted Cruz's, they don't care. The truth doesn't mean anything to them, Craig. I know. Here's the big test. These two senators from Wyoming, that's two votes right there. I wonder if Liz Cheney gives them the courage. And you got to think Dick Cheney is a powerful force. Yeah, but, you know, I've given up on expecting them to do the right thing. I mean, the, the, the hypocrisy of not confirming Merrick Garland because we were within a year of the next presidential election, you know, for the They're U.S. Terrible. Supreme Court. But it, and then, it's all blowing up. But uh, You know, I mean, the, the, the hypocrisy of these Republicans is just, I mean, you've seen clip after clip of Lindsey Graham just uh, blasting yeah. Donald Trump, and now he is the biggest bootlicker in Trump's orbit. Yeah, you know? He's an extortionist, and he called Georgia. He's guilty, too. You know, that's what Trump does. He's a mobster, and he makes you participate in his crimes, and then he's got you, right? But he does got him. He's got him. I know, but I don't think he has Mitch. Maybe he maybe does. Not. Maybe he does. Well, he's had him for 3.999 years. I don't know why the, the leopard's going to change his spots now, but we'll see. It's sort of like a judge. You know, when a guy's a judge, there's a difference between a judge and an ex-judge, although now they become senior judges. But I would just think it's a lot easier to talk shit to an ex-president than to a president. Yeah, it is. But courage is not what these people are made of. I know. Because we're dealing, you said Tuberville, and that guy appears to be stupid. I always thought he was a bad coach, too. But <laughs> Lauren Boebert, from Colorado. Oh, my God. She is a piece and of work. And now you are involved in suing her? Yes. You know, everybody wants a piece of her. Tell us, who is this woman, and what did she do to cause you to sue her? She is the know-nothing congressional representative from the western slope of Colorado. She's got the biggest congressional district in the state of Colorado. It goes from the northern border all the way down to the southern border of Colorado on the western slope, which is a sparsely populated area of Colorado. She's in her 30s. I think she's 34 maybe or something like that. And her whole thing is, is that the Constitution really has only one provision in it, and that is the Second Amendment. And she even has a fundamental misunderstanding about the scope of the Second Amendment. She thinks the Constitution begins and ends with the Second Amendment. And she should have a right to carry a gun anytime, anywhere, under any circumstances. That's Lauren Boebert in a nutshell. She knows nothing other than that. She is completely ill-equipped to understand the Constitution or any other aspect about being in Congress. And somehow the people of the 3rd Congressional District were charmed by her exploits as a restaurateur carrying a gun, and they've elected her. That got elevated through right-wing circles. Tipton kind of got ambushed. Tipton, who was endorsed by Trump, but Boebert ran on a campaign of, I'm Trumpier than Trump. He might not know it. And sure enough, when she won the primary, Trump loved her. And she was among the people who is being investigated now because on the 3rd, January 3rd, she said, I just met with the president. Are you all ready? And it's always menacing, a hint of violence in her tweets and Donald Trump's tweets. I'd said they're in a race to see who can get kicked off of Twitter first. Turned out it was Donald Trump, but she still 
tweeting like a maniac. And oh my gosh, David, do you follow her on Twitter? I don't. But we have a lawsuit going against her, and people are having a hard time understanding what it's all about. The First Amendment only applies to the government. If you are a private person with a Twitter account and you don't like what somebody's saying, you can block that person. And you have every right in the world to do it. Twitter and Facebook are also not the government. Those are private corporations. If they don't like what you're posting, they can block you without any constitutional violations. Those are not First Amendment violations. The only people that can violate the First Amendment are government people. So when a government person like Boebert decides to take to Twitter or when Donald Trump you know, has a Twitter account and he posts political messages on his Twitter account, if somebody chimes in with a critical response, when Donald Trump or Lauren Boebert blocks that person, that is governmental action censoring someone's criticism of their governmental position. And that's what Trump was doing. He was blocking people that criticized him on Twitter. And that's exactly what Boebert is doing. She's blocking people who are critical of her on Twitter. That is governmental action. They both are defending by saying, wait a minute, this is our personal accounts. These aren't our official accounts. And the courts of appeal have held that it doesn't matter. If you're a government official and you're using your personal account, to political messages, you can't censor people who are critical of you. That's a First Amendment violation. So Donald Trump went to court on that, and he lost. And now we are taking Lauren Boebert to court on exactly that same thing, and she will lose. First of all, what are the damages? And two, can she say, oops, I'm sorry, and mitigate her damages? Yeah, I mean, damages for a constitutional violation like this are deemed nominal damages. It's not like, you know, my client is losing thousands of dollars because she was unable to call Lauren Boebert an idiot on Twitter. So, you know, it's not really a damages case. It's a case where we are seeking an injunction forcing Boebert to stop blocking people on her Twitter account. And at that point, you know, she will then be forced to comply with a court order or she will be held in contempt of court. So that's what that case is all about. Donald Trump went through an identical case in New York and he lost all the way up to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. Let me test your constitutional purity, okay? Would you mm-hmm. go after Diana get if she blocks somebody on Twitter? Like I said, Craig, any politician, if they're only posting cute cat pictures or recipes or pictures of what they had for lunch, they can block anybody. It's okay to enjoy your work. I'm just saying, don't you take a little more pleasure going after Lauren Boebert as opposed to somebody? Oh, yeah. But I mean, if Diana DeGette is blocking people on Twitter and she's posting political You'll give her a call and say, Diana. Diana. Yeah, right. You'll text her. I got it. Good luck on that. Anytime... I mean, look, you, you know, when your constitutional rights are being violated and you're a Klansman or a Nazi, my constitutional rights are being violated. I will put a stop to the constitutional rights violation. Bobert tweeted, it's 1776 on the morning of January 6th. Right. 
And that goes with what the QAnon people were saying, et cetera. It's okay. I mean, it's not a violation for her to tweet that, but it might be evidence that she knew and complicity. You've seen cases built on a lot less. Am I right? For sure. I mean, it'll be interesting to see uh, who did she give a tour to on uh, January 5th. She's claiming it was my mom. It was my family. Well, you know, I guess the video would show that. I don't know. Have you seen her mom on social media? No. Anyway, there's a lot of suspicion about her. She's outspoken. She has a podcast. She is, what did you call her? Who, her mom? Yes. Or her? No, her mom. Bobert's mom? Oh, yeah. Check it out. I'm not a follower. Well, you got to be now that you're suing her. Well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I guess, you know? I know. You were talking about rednecks. I mean, what percentage of our population are dangerous to us? Because I'm thinking about Germany, and there's a gene that gets set off by uh, neo-fascist guys like Trump, and I don't want him to come back like Hitler did. He was suppressed for a while, and it's a shame to have to talk I about agree. it, but to me, he perpetrated the big lie and the big lie got a lot of people killed in Germany. I don't want it to happen here. How do we avoid it? You know, it takes an educated populace to maintain our freedom. And when people don't have any understanding of history, when they don't have any understanding of the fundamentals of our Constitution and what makes up America, other than USA, USA, you know, my country, right or wrong, when that's the extent of their understanding, then we are drifting into fascism. It is a a huge concern, and we need to have schools focusing on civics classes, teaching people what the Constitution is actually all about, what the, the Bill of Rights is all about. I used to think a third of the population would vote for Hitler if he ran for office. I now fear that it's closer to 40%. It's a real eye-opener. And what do you do with those people? You know, all you can do is try to educate them. But there needs to be a real push in our schools to have civics lessons for kids. People have to have a fundamental understanding of what this government is, is supposed to do, what the limits of its power are, what it should be what the founders wanted it to be, what it actually is. Simply wrapping yourself in the flag every morning and saying the Pledge of Allegiance is hardly a civics lesson. It doesn't teach you anything about what this country's supposed to be about. Right, but people of color would say, you know, screw the founders. They didn't account for us, and we were never welcome. And it's kind of insulting, especially the co-opting of the words USA, the flag, patriot. I mean, I went to GW too. We are the Patriots. It's to me, the way you do it is in a courtroom. And that brings us back to Donald Trump. Doesn't he face civil liability for what he did at the Capitol? He very well may. I mean, we shall see. I I mean, he's exposed like never before. And five people died, including a cop. And where's that video? Don't you think that may be the coup de grace? There has to be video covering every inch of the Capitol. Nobody is talking about that. 
I'm sure there is huge focus on any evidence leading to the arrest and conviction of whoever it was that hit that poor officer with the uh, fire extinguisher. What about the inroads that are made into first responders, firefighters, police, military, these oath keepers? Again, a lot of it in Colorado. These guys intentionally try to put their white nationalism into the military and people who take an oath to defend us. I mean, it's extremely scary. I, I was in El Salvador about a year and a half ago on a federal death penalty case where my client grew up in El Salvador. And I learned a ton about, you know, MS-13. And MS-13 is now embedded into the government of El Salvador. I mean, there are elected politicians who are MS-13 in El Salvador. How does this all happen? I mean, how does how does a group get embedded like this? And I mean, in, in El Salvador, these ruthless drug gangs, MS-13, a ruthless drug gang would kidnap a soldier, you know, who's just home visiting his mom and dad. And they'd say, okay, if we're going to turn you loose, you have the keys to the armory. By tomorrow at 5 p.m., we want three automatic rifles that you take from the armory. You deliver them to us, and your family lives. If you don't deliver them to us, your family's going to get killed. So these guys go steal guns, and they give them to MS-13. And I mean, it becomes a, okay, if you're going to testify against us, not only are you going to die, your entire family's going to die. And they mean it, and they kill judges, and they kill prosecutors, and they kill cops routinely in a place like that. We are not there in America. But we kind of are. The congressman, the Liz Cheney, the other nine who joined her, they're ordering body armor. Their families are getting threatened. I see that. I mean, I know that. And that is the, the danger of unchecked radicalism. What happened in El Salvador? could happen here. My uncle escaped from Nazi Germany with his mother. His father was killed in the camps. And he used to sit me down when I was a little kid. And he used to say, David, don't you think for one minute that it couldn't happen here because it could happen here. If it could happen in Germany, which was the most civilized country on earth back in those days, it can happen here. Right. A Western, Christian, civilized, supposedly civilized country. So what's going on? How close are we to the edge? And have we really backed off far enough away? I think you have to hold people responsible, just like the Nuremberg trials. I hate to use metaphors like that, but we are talking about fascism. And can we stipulate, because God, the Jew haters and the people who have microphones who suggest that Nazis were part of the left. The left has its problems, and you and I have talked about that, but Nazis are a product of the right. Neo-fascism comes from the right wing, correct? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's that word socialist and national socialist. It's bad translation. and Yeah, it is. But it's devastating the way they try to say, no, you are the Nazis. They say, you're the ones who eat your own. No, we're watching you guys eat your own right now. I think there's a Republican civil war and we have to help it along with this trial. I, I'm just convinced this trial is an opportunity and I think you can build 
a Tim McVeigh-like case where people will say, whoa, look what you did, man, and you're going to have to pay a price for this. Well, I'm, I'm all for you, Craig. I don't disagree. The American public will see the evidence. I just don't see Republican senators showing any courage in actually following the evidence. But, you know, we'll see. I want to give you a chance to talk about that case you're going to file involving the Aurora situation, African-American family laid out on hot pavement. What are you doing and when are you going to do it? We will probably file that Monday morning. And Colorado legislature passed the most sweeping civil rights law in the country. It's better than the federal civil rights law. They did that in response to the George Floyd death. It just went into effect July 1st. We're going to file this civil rights case in Arapahoe County District Court against Aurora and the police officers who laid out Brittany Gilliam and her four nieces and uh, daughter and sister on hot pavement because they allegedly had a report that the car she was driving was stolen. Turned out it was a plate that showed up hot, which was a Montana motorcycle that had been stolen, not a blue SUV that had been stolen. And these poor little kids were on the pavement crying their eyes out for about 15 minutes. So we're going after the Aurora cops for that, and we're going to file it in Aurora State Court, which is the first use of this brand new statute. And has Aurora said that they want to take responsibility, or have you just proceeded right away? No, we we have had overtures to Aurora to see if they want to settle the case, and their answer is no. So, okay, no. we'll see well, you in court. We'll see you in court. Famous words from David Lane. David, thanks so much for coming back into the lounge. Any last bits of wisdom for the audience? <laughs> Great. Uh, whatever wisdom there uh, is, I, I hope your audience can soak it up, watch these impeachment trials, and just, as Dr. Fauci always says, just follow the science here, just follow the evidence. I and love make your it. conclusions based on the evidence. Love it. That's our profession. Thank you, David Lyon. Really Thank appreciate you, it. Bye. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care. Bye. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at MBL LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Troubadour. Craig. I'll never forget how you got the position of Troubadour. Do you remember? You said four words to me. Four words? Yes, you said. Give me this job. Give me this job. What a great song you've written. I have it on SoundCloud. I've got all your work on SoundCloud. It's amazing, your body of work, but I had never heard this song until you said, Craig, 
I've got the perfect song for the inaugural. Before we get to that, what did you think of the inaugural of Joseph Robinette Biden Jr.? I was moved. Really, really happy with the whole event, which I thought went beautifully, and especially the words that were spoken by Biden and Klobuchar and others. But Biden made a great speech, and it was, it was very heartfelt. I'm, I'm hoping he reached a lot of people. I want your reviews of your fellow musicians. I think you sang just as good as any of them, and you write better songs. But I'm going to ask, on a 1 to 10 scale, 10 being magnificent, can't do better, one being horrible. How do you rank, in order of appearance, I do believe, Lady Gaga on a 1 to 10 scale? I was driving home to catch the inauguration when Lady Gaga came on, so I heard her on the radio. I did not get a chance to see her, but she sounded great. What about you, Craig? What are you giving her? I'm going to give Gaga, because I'm a fan, a 10. <laughs> You're giving her a 10? Yeah. I mean, she had me with A Star is Born. I'm Gaga for Gaga, and I think Gaga overcame MAGA, and I like that war. I think so. Gaga needs to overcome MAGA and live longer. All right. Now, they brought a little MAGA in, in the form of Garth Brooks. Now, you got home and saw that, didn't you? I saw Garth Brooks. And? I liked him. I, I mean, I thought he was great. It was great. He, you know, he was very natural, comfortable, relaxed, not a forced delivery. It was, it was terrific. And so was J-Lo. I mean, I liked them all. And it, it just was a great day. I agree. And J-Lo, I give her a 10. And A-Rod, gosh, it's huge to have a great home run hitter on this day. We're recording it late on Friday, Henry Aaron dead. But Garth Brooks, did you know he had that nice head of hair underneath his hat? Yeah, he didn't have a whole lot of hair underneath his hat anymore. No, I think he did pretty good. <laughs> With Joe Biden as president, can we all acknowledge that hair plugs are the way to go? Because Joe, he was going bald, and he had no part of it, and he admitted it. Send them on if you see it, if you have any extras. Anyway. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt. Okay, but the star of the show, let's talk about it, because she's the age of your daughters, Amanda Gorman, Poet Laureate. What do you think? Terrific. Beautiful. Yeah, and I hadn't heard of her. I mean... Her poem itself and the way she delivered it and, you know, her gestures, her tone, everything was hopeful. 22 years old. I mean, it's, that's, that's our future right there. You know, I mean, she can inspire a lot of people with her words. And she was great. I'm glad they had her on. You've nailed it. Perfect. Love, Amanda Gorman. And I love your song because you're putting on your usual performance. And I'd say this song more than Others, if I had to explain my troubadour, I'd say, listen to this song because it's got all the Dave Gunders elements to it. Right at the start, you express the mood of the song and you kind of make your guitar twang, right? Like a plaintive cry. Am I right? Yeah, I think you're referring to the slide. Yes, on an acoustic. All right, and then your recurring lyric is you're begging a guy for a job and you're calling him mister, but when you hit on that second syllable stir, you go as low as you can because you are feeling low, right? Right. 
And then you get a little menacing because the way you say it is, hey, I'm kind of desperate. Give me this job, not give me a job. Yes. Give me this job. Right. You know, I don't know about menacing, but but certainly, yes, demanding. I mean, it, it is it is that kind of urgency to it. This this man needs to, to bring home some money. He's been out hunting for work. He doesn't have work. And the song talks about, you know, once again, Craig, I, you know, some of this comes from my experience, but so much of it comes from my looking around. And I had an immigrant in mind who was a capable person, you know, a tradesman who was unable to find gainful employment, but had a great work ethic and, and, and was trained, was skilled, but, you know, unable to find uh, an, an outlet for his craft. So, there's so many people like that. And he's got a wife and kids, and he feels the responsibility, and he needs what every man needs, the dignity of work, the dignity yes. of putting. And who wrote that campaign right there to the White House? Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. That's his message, and that's who we should all be for, for the working man, right? That's right. You hear about the problems with our economy, and we all know about it. But here, here's the stock market just soaring right along. You know, it's I can't, I, I, I don't get make heads or tails. No, and that kind of disparity can't last. And there's a lot of politics. I have great guests to talk to about that. But the other elements of a Dave Gunder song. You always reference a promised land. Not every song, but it's a recurring theme. I've noticed that. You've got more stars in the sky. You like that kind of concept. And That's right. Can I tell you my favorite verse in this song? The world is changing fast. Me, I'm changing slow. What a great verse. Right. Thanks. Way to go. Where do you get this stuff? From our walks? As older guys, Craig, we, we can both relate to that. Yes, we can. Can I include you when I say an older guy? Yeah, of course. Right, because I just had David Lane on. He's a lot older, just like you're a lot older. So I surround myself in that way to feel young. And I do. I really do. So the world is changing fast. Me, I'm changing slow. Way to go. When did you write this? I wrote this in 2008. It was the beginning of the Great Recession. And, you know, I have a company. Work had the, the phone stopped ringing. That's how I felt. That's beautiful. I hope that Joe Biden is up to the job. I think we've got the best man in the White House for the job that has to be done here in these next, you know, four years. And his running mate, Kamala, I think it's a terrific duo, and, and uh, boy, if anyone can do it, they can. But they've got, they've definitely have, have a lot of challenges in front of them. They do. And, but they, Joe Biden appreciates the dignity of a job. He saw that when his father lost his. He's had a lot of experience. He is older, just like our troubadour. They get really smart as they age. Thanks, Truby. Thanks, Craig. Shabbat Shalom. See you soon. To you too. Shabbat Shalom. I could 
Lay my head on this cold steel rail at 419 Fix the way I feel Cause I ain't done nothing But search all day For eight hours work Eight hours pay You might see a day worker But I know plenty more And there ain't no what I'm trained for And there ain't no task Beyond these hands Still I'm just getting by In this promised land Telling you, mister To give me this job Well, I promised my wife And my kids at home they won't have to worry, we won't be moving on Now I'm here like I said, with the rising sun So tell me what you need, and pay me when I'm done Hey mister, give me this job job in sight a man's got to work a man's got the right and I stand here now so give me this job tell you man give me this job Telling you, mister, 
won't you give me this job? My practice of law, Michael Bailey, decisions are often left to a personal representative. God forbid a person gets killed. That's an important decision you can make ahead of time. Who is going to be your personal representative? What is your advice in that regard? So you want to pick somebody as a personal representative who has several qualities. Number one, you want them to kind of have a good sense of financial stuff and and matters like that so they can they can deal with that i have a friend who's really really good and really really smart and is scared to death to fill out a tax form because they don't quite just the finances don't make sense to them so you don't want to pick that type of person you want to pick somebody who can understand finances you want to pick somebody who's trustworthy who will carry out your decisions and if you can do it you want to pick somebody who's not afraid of people not liking them or getting their feelings hurt. Now, back to The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a day, what a world, what a life. My life has intersected with some of modern current events that are fascinating. Of course, it's my life. Thank you for being a part of it. But the big lie that resulted in the insurrection at the Capitol, and God knows what further repercussions, that has affected me. Because I think, as with the Platte, the Arkansas, the Rio Grande, and the Colorado, this great river begins in Colorado. And thanks to podcasts, etc., I think I have it figured out. I talk about it with Samantha Cook, who is the epitome of a Republican millennial. She's run for office. She's a mother. She's a wife. She has traditional values, and she likes Donald Trump. I don't, of course. But the dialogue is what is important. We talk about what happened on January 6th, etc. And I give her little bits of my theory based on reviewing the complaints by Dominion and by Dr. Eric Coomer suing Sidney Powell, and in the other case, Joe Oltman, Michelle Malkin, Newsmax, etc. This flows out of Colorado. And I wonder if that affects somebody like Samantha Cook. Give a listen. Thank you. Samantha Cook, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks a lot for coming back on. <laughs> Thank you for having me. For anybody who doesn't know Samantha, she's had two prior appearances, both tremendous insights into the mind of a little bit more of a conservative Denver woman who happens to be living <laughs> an American life. Is that a good description of you? Tell us about your life, Samantha, before we start talking about current events. Yeah. I mean, just a little about me. I do live in Denver with my family. I'm married, have three kids and a business owner and just finished running for state house in Denver this year. So yeah, I just try to stay up to date on what's going on and navigate through this craziness as best as anybody else. <laughs> are you a millennial or are you a little older than that? I am 
very narrowly a millennial. Well, that's nice. I bet you're happy about John Ossoff, a millennial, getting elected out of Georgia or not. Well, I mean, whether they're a millennial or not, I'm happy about people that believe in constitutional values getting elected. So, <laughs> Well, I like that about you. You are consistent. I follow you on Twitter. Everybody should. You spell the last name K-O-C-H, first name Samantha. Tell us how you feel about the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Well, clearly not who I voted for. I'm not super excited about some of the things that they've proposed, but we're all in the airplane and we're all hoping that the the pilot gets us on our trip safely. So, you know, always praying for the best, but still a little apprehensive. Now, Samantha, I follow you on Twitter. You are saying that the captain of the airplane got there through illegitimate means. Seems to me that you have been arguing on social media that there was something wrong with this last election. Do tell. There were, you know, over 1,100 signed affidavits of people that saw questionable activity. I saw several videos of people recording poll workers filling in just stacks of ballots themselves. So it's not just a matter of what I think. I want every election to be won fairly. It's video documentation of things happening that were very, very clear that I don't feel were investigated properly, especially after we spent three years investigating a Russia situation that didn't bring anything to fruition, didn't prove anything, and we couldn't spend just a little bit more time making sure that these things were worth looking at. Here we are on January 22nd, recording for the January 23 show. Are you still persisting in believing that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris cheated their way into elective office? Well, I mean, it's not something I'm going to dwell on. I'm hoping that we can clean up our election system and make sure that our elections are always fair, that we're using voting machines that accurately count people's votes and that we have people adhering to our election laws properly. And I think everybody wants that. I think everybody should want that. So it's not something I don't feel that dwelling on it is really going to help. They are in office and we'll just move forward from here. But I think we have to discuss this a little further. And you are definitely entitled to your opinion. But I can't help but note that you keep tweeting people who contend that Joe Biden got there illegitimately. That's what Donald Trump says. Do you agree with Donald Trump? I could put it that way. Just because Donald Trump says something doesn't make it accurate. I prefer, you know, if if. President Trump says something, I still look into the information because we know that he likes to dramatize things sometimes. So as I said before, it was video evidence that I saw repeatedly being shared. You know, there was one gal that was sharing a video directly from a voting center in Chicago where she named the vehicles that were brought in with these huge cases of ballots and they weren't allowed to get anywhere near them. She was describing the incidents as they were happening. Well, let's just think about that one for a second. In Illinois and Chicago is what you're talking about? Yeah. Now, do you think that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris had to cheat to win Illinois? It wasn't a state in play. (laughs) Right. Do you think they'd have to cheat to win California, New York or Colorado? Definitely not California or New York. Colorado, I have questions about, but it's never been really considered a swing state. So I think that's why it doesn't get as much attention. 
Right. Well, Colorado, we have been a swing state, but we are the home of Dominion Voting Systems. Did you know they were in the old spaghetti factory downtown on 18th? I wasn't sure where they were, but I I was aware that they were in Denver area and then suddenly they disappeared. (laughs) Right. Tell me what you know about Dominion. I know that they are, well, from what I have heard, they have the backing of Venezuela. There's a lot of articles that I was reading from Venezuelan perspective saying that these are known for basically putting the election in favor of, I can't remember what his name is, their leader. So that basically the voters don't really have an option. Are, are they, you talking they about Venezuela's leader, Hugo Chavez, yeah. back yeah, yeah, in yeah. the day? Yes, yes, yes. And so Dominion helped cheat its way to victory, right? <laughs> you can put algorithms in these voting machines to count them the way that you want to. Right. And if you have somebody who's dedicated to the destruction of Trump and Trumpism, if that person has big position at Dominion, then you have the means for a hanky-panky because they are in a number of swing states, correct? Right. And we had Democratic leaders a year ago that spoke out against these machines. Amy Klobuchar herself said that these were not reliable machines. So kind of funny that people don't think that we, they kind of forget that we had the internet sometimes and that we can go back and see these previous statements. I know that the state of Texas refused to use them because of their shady past. So, Right. But it has some local roots. And let's stay local since you're a Denverite. I'm a Denver native. Let's talk about Dominion in Denver. Did you hear about this Dr. Eric Coomer, the head of security for Dominion, and his anti-Trump attitude? I did not hear about him, no. Well, I can tell you, you probably know a lot of the people involved, right? When we first spoke, you were going to that Back the Blue rally in Civic Center Park Mm -hmm. that got overrun by people who could be accurately described as members of the left, whether it was Antifa or another group. Why don't you bring us back to those days and let me tell you what I know about Dominion Systems and how these stories grew. But tell everybody when you went to the Back the Blue rally in Civic Center Park, you knew that Randy Corcoran was organizing it along with, wasn't it Michelle Malkin? Yes, she was there as well. Right. And what attracted you to go there? Well, I was running for state house and we were invited to come and speak as candidates and speak to the crowd. So that was my intention of going there. We were invited by the Denver GOP to come there. So I was aware that Randy organized it. I knew Michelle was going to be there, um, but our invitation extended from the Denver GOP. So, you know, it's an annual event. It's been happening for a few years in a row now. We knew that there would be probably some contention, but, you know, I wasn't expecting the level of chaos that we kind of walked into. (laughs) Right. And it was dramatic the way you described it. You felt in danger. And I don't blame you at all. And who do you think it was who wrecked that event? It was Antifa that stormed the event. They ran up to the stage and and smashed some of the speaker equipment and they attacked Randy specifically. I think it was Ron McLaughlin, a guy who has had Randy put on back the blue rallies for years. I don't know, Mr. McLaughlin, do you? I believe I may have met him once or twice, but I don't know him that well. No, and you're right. It was Ron. It wasn't Randy that was attacked. So he had, you know, a pretty significant injury to his head. But when I got there, you know, all the chaos had already ensued and I was trying to figure out what's going on. There are all of the protesters, the Antifa protesters were in the middle of the arena area and we were kind of standing up on the stairs, our group, and we were separated by a line of police. And I kind of lost track of the people that I came with. And as I was trying to make my way out of there, 
some of these Antifa antagonists were following me and, and one gal tried to slap my phone out of my hand and she was getting in my face and then another guy came up beside her and threatened to repeatedly, repeatedly threatened to slip my throat. So yeah, I definitely did not feel safe at that time, but you know, thankfully there were a couple of other guys that were still kind of on my side of things nearby and they helped me get out of there safely. Gosh, so, those people yeah. should be prosecuted for that guy who threatened you. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's unfortunate, but, you know, thankfully I did come out of there okay. So then Corcoran and his crew, Malkin, and then, you know, Tig Tegan, or maybe he pronounces I- it Tig Tegan. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, John Tegan. Mm-hmm. Tell us how you know him. I have met him at a couple of political events just promoting our campaigns. He came to a small concert that we were doing and spoke for a few minutes about the things that he's doing. So yeah, I've, I've met him a couple of times. He was involved in Benghazi. As I recall, a private contractor acted with heroism that day. Four Americans got killed, including an ambassador. Big investigation. And I was all over Susan Rice at the time because I thought she dissembled. She was not honest when she went on the Sunday shows. And I called her out for that because she don't lie about murder. Would you agree with me? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so so let's go back to Tig Tegan. He's associated with Michelle Malkin and Randy Corcoran, and they decided they were going to reclaim that ground at the Greek Amphitheater at Civic Center Park, and they held another rally. I don't think you were there, but a guy named Lee Kellner went, and he's a Trump supporter, and he got in a scuffle with a security guard for Channel 9, and he got shot dead. You remember that, don't you? I do. I was invited to that event, but I was out campaigning instead, so didn't get there, but I'm aware of it. It was a terrible event. A jury will decide whether it was murder, but it was a shooting death right between Mm -hmm, the library and the Denver Art Museum. Um, It's shocking. So in the past, we've talked about Michelle Malkin and what's your attitude toward her these days? She calls it murder. She's all over Channel 9. I, I expect you follow that. What are your thoughts on it? You know, I really don't follow Michelle that much, so I'm not really sure what she's putting out there. I know she has a very strong opinion about things, so I'm not surprised that she's been very vocal. Do you mean what is my opinion on whether it was murder or not? Or from what I've seen, and I, you know, there were some pretty graphic videos out there. It does seem to me that it was murder. To me, there was no call for a firearm in that instance. So whether or not they determined that, whether the guy legitimately felt threatened enough to use a firearm on Mr. Keltner, we'll see. From what I could see, my personal judgment, I believe that it was. And you are definitely entitled to your opinion, and you might be on the jury, although you'd have to say <laughs> you've already talked about the case. Because you live in it's Denver, true. and you would be perfectly appropriate to be on a jury on this very case. So. You know a lot of the characters involved. Do you know the Bandamares? They've been very active in supporting Republican candidates. And you live in northwest Denver, not that far from Bandamere. Do you know those people? I don't know them personally, but my family and I have been out to Bandamere several times. My husband and his family are all car people, so they like going to the drag strip. So I'm familiar with Bandamere. And did you become familiar with that group called FEC United, started by Tigan and other like-minded people to 
I think it's faith, education, commerce. They would hold meetings mm-hmm. at Bandamere. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. I have actually been to one of their meetings to get more information about their cause. So I have, you know, a little bit of understanding. They basically, from my understanding, want to make sure that people have the backing they need, whether it be legally or whatnot, to stand up for their constitutional rights, to stand up for the right to defend themselves, to stand up for their right to free speech, to stand up for their right to run their business how they see fit. So that's my understanding of their of FEC United. Right. And it's for conservative values, right? Yes. And the, the faith part is it's really pretty much a Christian based organization, correct? I believe so. <laughs> they didn't talk a lot about that at the meeting. So Right, but the band of marriage are pretty closely associated with Colorado okay. Christian University. Every time I go to Band of Mare, their signs are all over the place. CCU. Anyway, the reason I bring it up, do you know a guy named Joe Oltman? He also broadcast under the name Joe Otto on Conservative Daily Podcast. How do you know Joe? He was the one that conducted the meeting that I went to. So he was the one providing most of the information. And where was it at? It was at a restaurant in Englewood. I honestly don't remember the name of it. It was a few months ago and I'd never been there before, but they spoke with the restaurant owner and they allowed us to use one of their rooms to have a meeting. How many people were there? Maybe 30. How did people hear about it? I believe it was an event organized on Facebook. I see. And are you part mm-hmm. of a Facebook page with FEC United? I believe I am. I am a part of a lot of groups. So no, I understand. I, yeah. But you understand I, I think this, I am. this guy, Joe Oldman, was one of the heads. He conducted the meeting. What did, yes. Had you ever met him before? No, that was the first time I'd met him. Did you know what he does for a living? I know he spoke about it. I honestly don't remember. What did he say? I've never had the pleasure of meeting him. He spoke at the meeting about the things that I mentioned, the purpose of the organization, and you know they want to make sure that they can preserve people's rights and keep people living as freely as possible and, and provide them with the resources to do that. And what was the gist of the meeting? What was the reason that you all had together? Was it related to the pandemic and provisions? put forth by Jared Polis? Uh, that was some of it. That was, you know, part of the, you know, the goal to help people be able to run their businesses as they see fit, to provide them the legal backing, to allow them to keep their businesses open and run a business in America as you should be able to. Correct. I think I yeah. understand the sides and the way they line up. Would it be fair to say that your group was Trump supporters? You took his attitude toward the pandemic more than the Democrat Jared Polis approach. Yes, I, I related to his approach far more. <laughs> and it's interesting how the sides line up. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was predestined, but I know that Joe Oldman was a leader in this anti-mask movement. Was that part of it? He didn't talk about that at all. What did he talk about? Just opening up business? Yeah, it was very much about, you know, the Second Amendment, about free speech, about running a free business, because a lot of these businesses are being weighed down by fines if they're not following every single restriction necessary. So they're trying to to back these businesses and keep them from having to close permanently. When you met him, did he go by Joe Otto or Joe Oltman? Uh, Oltman. And did he talk about having a podcast on Conservative Daily? I don't remember that. That doesn't sound familiar. So I don't think he mentioned it. Do you know his connection to the Dominion accusations, Joe Altman? I haven't been following him as closely. 
I believe that he has been trying to investigate it more and find more information about, you know, what their ties are to the uh, Colorado election, whether they were accurately counting the votes in Colorado. That's as much as I know. I know that he's made a couple of statements about it, but with everything going on, sometimes it's hard to follow every single commentary on every issue. (laughs) Among the groups that you participate in, does that include Tea Party groups? Are you part of the Arapahoe County Tea Party? I don't believe I'm in that, no. I like it. You're Denver County all the way. Way to go. (laughs) In any event, Randy Corcoran has an Arapahoe County Tea Party. And if I were to tell you that a week after the election, Joe Otto, also known Mm -hmm. as Joe Oltman, went on his conservative daily podcast and he told everybody that because he was against all the pandemic restrictions, he felt like he'd become a target of Antifa. And his group, FEC, Tig Tigan, and you talked about how Antifa attacked that gathering. Anyway, mm-hmm. he said he infiltrated an Antifa call and heard a guy named Eric from Dominion mm-hmm. talk about his hatred of Donald Trump. And then he came to realize that Eric was Dr. Eric Coomer, head of security mm-hmm. for Dominion. And he put two and two together and said, this is bad. And he talked about it on that conservative daily podcast. And then he went to Randy Corcoran's Tea Party meeting that night and he was guest speaker. So do Mm -hmm. you know anything about that? Have you heard about that? No, I really, really haven't. I feel like I should know more about this. But, you know, like I said, I've seen a few comments from Joe Altman and just hearing a little bit more of the backstory. I just think it's really curious, it does raise the suspicion that these people that have expressed such hatred towards President Trump, it seems to be driving a lot of their actions, such as bringing in something like Dominion voting systems, where, you know, these systems were rejected in other places because of their lack of reliability. So it should make people question why we're using them and what the motive was behind using these specific systems. Well, you think like other conservatives, because Randy Corcoran had him on his radio show shortly thereafter, and Joe Altman talked about infiltrating this call and coming up Mm -hmm. with this explosive information. Then Michelle Malkin put him on Newsmax, and he repeated it. She has a huge Twitter following, and through social media and those appearances, it caught the attention of the Trump campaign. And the Trump children started tweeting about Dominion and crooked Dr. Coomer. And then Donald Trump himself has taken up the battle cry that Dominion was in on the big fix. And if Dominion was in on the big fix, they're in a lot of the swing states. And that seems Mm -hmm. to be the most viable accusation that supports the claim of the Trump team that he got cheated out of the election. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I don't think I have any argument with that. I mean, it's interesting how little the conversation seems to be flipped that we're not as interested in whether or not this election was won fairly as we were four years ago. So I think that there's a lot of questionable activity. There's questionable agenda, questionable motives as to why we were using these things and enough to go off of, you know, based on people actually testifying to what they saw to look into these things and make sure that we're not using these systems in the future if we are really, truly interested in in making sure our elections are fair and that they represent the voice of the people. 
I love the strong way you address that. And most of the people you hang out with or share your politics, they would agree with you. 75% of the Republican Party think that Joe Biden cheated to win the election. And a big part of that is Dominion, correct? I believe so. But I think the bigger issue, it's a huge issue and a concern to me that a fair election or investigating these machines is only an interest of the right. Why should this be a partisan issue? Why is this even political? A fair election is something that should be, you know, a main issue that we can all agree on. I could not agree more. And one way you (laughs) could peel it back is to see if that's true. Did Dr. Eric Coomer really change the algorithm? And is the accusation made by Joe Oltman true? Did he really infiltrate an Antifa call? Those would be Mm -hmm. good things to understand, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of like that video of the gentleman who was talking about doing anything possible. It was a it was I wish I had the information. I shouldn't have brought it up without the information. I know there are videotapes. You probably saw that one out of Georgia with the suitcases under the table. Yeah, that's another cause for your suspicion, right? Absolutely. There's just a lot of things that I think were swept under the rug a little too quickly. So. A lot of people feel the way you do, and it's a heck of an accusation. You stole an election is a battle cry because I don't think that should happen. It distorts our system, and it got a lot of people mad. And you would agree that Donald Trump was among those people who got very mad out of what he asserted was a stolen election. Right, and I think rightfully so. I mean, we, like I said, we had to listen for three years to information about a Russia collusion. And come to find out everything at the base of that was actually bought and paid for by the Clintons. (laughs) I saw you just today, 22nd, -hmm. or maybe you tweeted it earlier this week, but a guy named Alan Sutton, who I've never seen before, but I follow you. And Uh you retweeted Alan Sutton, who wrote, I hope you realize that we are in a civil war. The establishment seeks to fundamentally transform America into a socialist state. This is wholly incompatible with the Constitution and freedom. We just took a colossal hit. They stole a presidential election. They got away with. And you retweeted that because I imagine you shared that sentiment. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and a lot of people sharing that sentiment gathered on the ellipse outside the White House on January 6th. They heard a speech from the president. He told them to go to the Capitol. He'd be there with them. I don't know if that was metaphorical or whatever. But then the events of January 6th occurred. So, Samantha, I'd like to hear your take on what happened that day. Well, I think we can all agree that storming the Capitol, damaging, you know, federal prop, well, damaging any property, really, that doesn't belong to you, it's not okay. I condemn these people walking in there and breaking windows and breaking doors. My heart breaks for the family of Ashley Babbitt. You know, that was really, really sad to see. And, you know, the people in Congress that felt unsafe. It's really unfortunate that this is where we're at, where it seems on both sides that people think that this is an appropriate way to deal with things that they think are unjust. And we need to, on both sides, be saying that we are a country of law and order and we have the right to peacefully protest, but we don't have the right to go in and damage property and to threaten the safety of others and, you know, create chaos in this way. But what if they said, hey, you don't have a right to steal an election? 
well, you don't have the right to steal an election. <laughs> That'll get people worked up and you can expect people to come looking for answers. Isn't that what animated the people going into the Capitol that day? I don't honestly know what animated the people. We can look at people like Rashida Tlaib saying that there needs to be unrest in the streets and Nancy Pelosi saying that people will do what they do during these six months of riots. More Maxine Waters saying if you see a Trump supporter or see people that hold this belief system, gather around them and form a crowd right. and harass I, them. I, I don't think any You of know, those are blatant statements, think, but, I just, but, but there was nothing that President Trump said that was anything remotely close to that. He said he'd be at the Capitol giving this speech for this rally, but he did not say, you know, I'll be there, storm the Capitol, like you need to create unrest, like these other ladies were blatantly saying. The theme of the last couple of months has been fight for Trump, right? Fight for Trump. Yes, I guess. And yes. stop this deal. Mm -hmm. Who came up with stop this deal? I honestly, I'm not sure where it originated from. If I told you it was Roger Stone in 2016, would you believe me? I would definitely look into it, but I have no reason not to believe you. All right, back to January 6th. Stop this deal, fight for Trump. You did not hear anything that Donald Trump said that might have riled up the crowd to do what they did? Like I said, he didn't say anything about specifically creating unrest he may have riled people up, but people are still responsible for their own actions. How do you feel about Mike Pence? Do you think he failed Donald Trump and he should have done more than he did at the Congress that day? I was definitely disappointed in Mike Pence not taking a further stand. But I mean, if that's what he feels, he needed to do great, but I don't necessarily agree with it. Who do you think is a better person, Mike Pence or Donald Trump? Or is that an impossible question? I think that's an impossible question. It depends on your definition of better. <laughs> in what way? Who do you think is more moral? Probably Mike Pence in a lot of ways. You are a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. It's important yes. to you? Yes. Who do you think Christianity is more important to, Donald Trump or Mike Pence? Ooh, I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know. That's a fair <laughs> answer. Definitely. Yeah. Is that an important question for you? Do you value that? Not necessarily. I know I don't have to just align with someone because they support Christian values or not, as long as they support my right to live my Christian values. <laughs> anyway, back to January 6th. What should uh -huh. happen to the people? Five people died. What do you think should happen to the people who went into the Capitol? They should be investigated and prosecuted according to their actions if they were vandalizing, if they were threatening, whatever laws they broke, they should be prosecuted for and they should be arrested and charged. You are a business owner, correct? Yes. And I imagine you have some business supplies and assets of your business, right? Yes. And I imagine there's competition who would like to take your business away, right? <laughs> Probably. And if they made accusations against you and they got together a group of two dozen people, 24 of their mm -hmm. best allies, and they said, boy, that's Samantha Cook. We need to show her we don't like her, and I want you to go to her place of business. And they mm -hmm. went there, and then they damaged all your stuff. They frightened you, your family, etc. Should there be mm -hmm. repercussions on the people who did that? Absolutely. And what about the person who got them riled up to do it? Well, you have to be able to point to something that says that they specifically riled them up. 
you can make that claim and that accusation, but you've got to be able to back it up. I totally agree. Let's say that the group yeah. assembled against you were not just after your business, but they didn't like your politics. Let's say mm-hmm. the 24 badass Antifa <laughs> sympathizing people were in the crowd mm-hmm. of your business competitor. And your business competitor knew these were the kind of people who threatened to slit your throat at Civic Center Park. And he gave that speech to that person, to those people. Mm -hmm. That would be even worse, right? Yes. So did you know that the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters and the Oath Keepers had been summoned to D.C. for that January 6th rally? And the night before the rally, they got charged up by speeches by Mike Flynn and Roger Stone, who knew of their presence. So when the president spoke the next day, he wasn't talking to just any crowd. It was some badass people who had demonstrated in the past that they were willing to take action. Doesn't that make a difference to you, Samantha? It does make a difference to me. I guess where my frustration comes in, because if you want to make that accusation, that's perfectly fine. And if you believe that there are people that are riling up crowds to carry out these actions, everything needs to be investigated and looked at. What we're seeing now is that they're accusing President Trump and, you know, all of these other people of riling up the crowd. So they have, you know, share the responsibility. But there's not the same happening on the other side. There's blatant double standard. So we either agree on the rule of law and how it should be applied and that that accusations, you know, these accusations should be taken seriously or we don't. We don't believe that it applies in some cases because of your political affiliation, and it doesn't apply in other cases because of your political affiliation. I just think it's a bit unprecedented to have a president engage in that kind of behavior. And if you could show a left-wing politician giving a speech to Antifa types, telling them to go somewhere and then destruction follows, that would really be something like Elizabeth Warren directing protesters in Seattle or Portland, if that connection could be made, I think she'd be in a lot of trouble. What about Mayor Ted Wheeler protesting directly with BLM and Antifa as they were surrounding courthouses and government buildings? In the wake of George Floyd, but I think he's turned against them pretty hard, right? See, we're creating a double standard. I mean, President Trump has come out and said, I did not encourage this crowd to go in and storm the Capitol. So you're willing to make an exception for Ted Wheeler. But when President Trump says, no, that was not what I was saying, you want to condemn him. Right. But I never heard Ted <laughs> Wheeler take a stage and with regard to the Proud Boys or a leftist corollary say, stand back and stand by. No, he was directly arm in arm with them as they were destroying property. Maybe I'm wrong about the Proud Boys. Maybe I share a poor opinion of them that you don't. What do you think of the Proud Boys? I don't know a lot about them. What I have read about them is that it's a group of men, I'm assuming. I I actually believe they do have a chapter for women as well, but men of all ethnicities and races that believe in basically the stereotypical roles of men and being the protectors and the earners and being the warriors in society. So that's my understanding of them. And that's not so bad, right? It's not so bad in theory, but if they're using it to do some of these things that Antifa has been doing, it's not okay. I don't stand with a group just because their core values might align with mine. If they start doing things that are against the law or encouraging people to break the law, then I don't stand with them anymore. (laughs) 
But if you were at a political meeting and there was a contention of Proud Boys, would that bother you? Or that's okay. They're just another group. That would be fine. I would be fine being at a meeting, hearing Antifa say what they have to say, as long as they're not breaking the law and not getting violent and not threatening people. I can be at a meeting with anybody and hear what they have to say, as long as we're all agreeing that abiding by our laws and not breaking things and not threatening people is a line we're not going to cross. Fair enough. What about three percenters or Oath Keepers? Do you know about them? I have heard of them. (laughs) Let me tell you, the Oath Keepers, they have a slogan. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've heard it on the radio. Not on my watch or not on our watch. Have you ever heard that expression? I know I've heard it. I'm not entirely sure what they mean by it. Part of it is that they've taken an oath. They're perhaps in the military or law enforcement. They've taken an oath, but they take it more seriously. The idea being that even in the Revolutionary War, it was really only 3% of the badass believers who did the fighting. The rest kind of watched. These guys want to be at the tip of the spear, and they are very conservative, and they've been able to uh, get into a lot of law enforcement and military circles, which is part of their goal. Does that ring a bell to you? Like I said, it sounds familiar. I know I've heard of them. I've heard the saying, not on my watch. I just, I don't know a lot about it. Well, what if I were to tell you, Samantha, that the Oath Keepers have now been charged with organizing on January 6th, and a lot of the worry is that these groups are white supremacist and racist, in effect. Have you heard that? What's your reaction to that? Proud Boys are racist. Well, they're clearly not. One of the leaders of Proud Boys is half black and half Latino, so or something like that. So they're clearly not yeah, racist. Ontario. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but is is that all the proof you need? Can you see where somebody who's half black, half white, they could have a bunch of different things going through their head and they may react to that in different ways. Some may mm-hmm. want to emphasize their whiteness, others their African American side. It must be complicated to be a mixed race. Some people go in different directions. Can you understand that? I oh well, I absolutely can. I think we need to get back to for using phrases like white supremacist and racist. We need to be able to point to instances where they have demonstrated that they're a white supremacist or or a racist. And part of that would be an attraction to Nazism. Can we agree Nazis are bad? Yes, Nazis are definitely bad. Did you see the Nazi imagery within the Capitol represented by the people who went in at Camp Auschwitz shirt, uh, signs of six million were not enough on other T-shirts, tattoos demonstrating known white supremacy, neo-Nazi stuff. Did you see any of that? I know I saw the tattoo on the back of one guy's hand. It was a communism symbol. So that's all. I mean, I've seen a few things. I, I didn't see anything about the Nazism. What about the Confederate flags that flew in the Capitol that day? Did you see the Confederate flags? I had heard that there were Confederate flags involved in some way. If you went to an FEC rally and people started waving a Confederate flag, what would you say or do? Would you say, well, that's their opinion? I don't know. What's your attitude about the Confederate flag? You know, I I think... It's a part of our history. I think people need to not erase it from our history. We need to understand where it came from. But it's not something that I feel should be flown consistently in today's day and age. It's an era that we're past. 
I, I understand people's feelings towards it of being offensive or hurtful. So I, I don't think that it should be a part of our day and age on a regular basis at all. And if you were at the Colorado State Capitol, where you aspired mm-hmm. to serve as an elected official, and you may someday, you're persistent, you're bright, you're open, <laughs> it's a possibility. But if some protester got in the Colorado State Capitol with a Confederate flag and they were waving it around, what would you do? Anything? If the opportunity was there without creating harm to myself, depending on who the person was, I would do what I could to encourage them to not to remove the flag, to bring it down, put it away, take it home, whatever, but it doesn't belong in our Capitol building. Can you see how many Americans regard it as just a complete sacrilege that the Confederate flag was waved within the United States Capitol on January 6th? Yes, I can definitely understand that 100%. Does it give you pause that out of the many hundreds of people who went into the Capitol, I mean, only a small percentage were carrying Confederate flags, but isn't it revealing that none of the other participants knocked that guy on his ass, you know what I mean, or took away the flag or said, you can't do that, man? To me, the guy with the Confederate flag had his run of the Capitol, and nobody who was with him did anything about it. Isn't that kind of revealing to you, Samantha? You know, I wasn't there. I, I can't speak for other people and why they did what they did or didn't do what they do. I don't know why they didn't speak up. But does it bother you? Is it one where I've got you scratching your head even a little bit? It's hard to say if it bothers me that someone, you know, made a choice that I'm not sure what I would have done in that situation. It was heated. You know, it probably wasn't safe in a lot of ways. So who knows? But I don't agree with the flag being flown in the Capitol building. You brought up a woman who lost her life, Ashley Babbitt. Why does her name mm-hmm. stand out to you? Well, I saw you know several videos of, of different angles of, of the moment that she was shot. And you know it was really sad and unfortunate. And it's sad and unfortunate when it happens at any event, whether it be something involving Antifa or whether it be something involving a Trump rally, anybody that loses their life at these things, it's, it's just a really sad state of affairs. Should she have been shot or was that a bad shoot? From what I can tell, she was being told by police not to climb through the window. They were yelling at her to stay back. They had barricaded the door. So, you know, as we've said, on either side, if police are telling you to do something, whether you think it's justified or not, just do it. (laughs) Do you know what motivated Ashley to go that far, to go into the Capitol and then try to get into the House chamber? You know, I honestly don't know. It, from what I could see, they were cheering each other on to break these windows and to go through the barricaded door and try and get into this other chamber of Congress. She was a big believer in QAnon. I had heard that as well. And do you know about QAnon? I know a little bit about QAnon. What do you think about Q and QAnon? From what I understand, it actually started out as a military operation. And then just kind of once their contract was done there, they kind of expanded into revealing information that may have been otherwise not necessarily classified, but more kept under the rug. Whether the stuff that they're revealing is true or not, I don't know. I Like I said, I haven't looked that deeply into QAnon. That's just the basis that I understand. Ashley Babbitt was about your age. She had served mm-hmm. for 14 years in the United States Air Force. Right. She definitely was an adherent to QAnon, and they believe that there are liberal elites who are conspiring to do bad things and then only Donald Trump can stop them. Have you heard about that? 
I have. I'm familiar with it. Yes. And are you receptive to that? You know, I think we're at a, a day and age. I try not to delve too much into conspiracy theories. I prefer things that I can, you know, see and read about right in front of me. But we are seeing, you know, more towards this socialism ideology that's taking over America. And I think it's a possibility that there's a group of liberal elites that want to fundamentally undo our country. So whether that comes from QAnon or not, what we're seeing is those things play out. A lot of people believe there's a divine plan and that Donald Mm -hmm. Trump, for all his flaws, is like King David and that he (laughs) has a divine purpose here. And part of that is to expose socialism, communism, and the liberal elites who want to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Are you receptive to that in your Christianity? Can God provide a person like Donald Trump, like he did all those characters in the Bible? I think that God can provide whoever he chooses, whether it's Donald Trump. I mean, I appreciate what President Trump has done in, you know, kind of going against the grain and not falling in line with political actors that at the end of the day just seem to really be much more interested in their agenda than they are in actually working for people. So I think he's exposed a lot of what is happening in Washington that really doesn't work for the people. But whether or not he was appointed by God or whether he is a character related to King David or, you know, that can be compared to King David, I don't know. (laughs) If he announces he's running in 2024, are you back on board the Trump train? I would probably support him. But, you know, at that point, he'd be, what, 78 years old. You know, I don't know what's going to happen between now and then. So I think that there's room for more people that aren't necessarily career politicians. I think he's created a path forward for people that haven't spent their entire life in office. Whether or not I think that that role would be as effective in four years for him, I don't know. Are you receptive to one of his children taking up the Trump mantle? And if so, which child? I think, honestly, Don Jr. would be a great candidate in that position. I think he's well-spoken. He's smart. Um, I think he has a lot of his father's attributes without being so (laughs) off-putting. Before Donald Trump can do anything, it's apparent now he's going to face an impeachment trial. He got impeached again, Mm -hmm. and now the trial's coming up. What do you think about all that? I think it's crazy. Why is he being impeached again? This used to be something, you know, that happened so rarely and had to be, you know, for the highest of crimes. And it just seems to be something we hand out like a bag of candy. I mean, it just seems to mean absolutely nothing. And that's a deep concern to me. The answer is because of what happened in the Trump insurrection on January 6th. It was an unprecedented event in American history. Are you saying that was no big deal? No, I'm not saying that was no big deal. I'm saying that there isn't enough to pin it solely on President Trump enough for an impeachment. It's to the point where they can say we interpreted his speech this way. So therefore, you know, because of our interpretation, we can impeach him. Let me just play this out and sort of connect the dots the way they are working in my mind. Okay. Joel Oldman, a week after the election, told a story about Dr. Eric Coomer and Dominion. And it came out of Colorado, like the Great Rivers, Colorado, the Arkansas, the Rio Grande. What am I missing? There's one more. You know how the Great Rivers come out of Colorado? This deception Mm -hmm. grew out of Colorado, and it started with Joe Oltman, the guy you know, 
making up a story about some intercepted Antifa call with Dr. Eric Coomer. And then Team Trump's off to the races on Dominion, which is part of the foundation for the big lie about the ballot being rigged. He got everybody worked up about the big lie, which motivated people on January 6th. He had people charging up the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters and the Oath Keepers. And there was some coordination with his minions, which can be proved. He told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. He said it was going to be wild on January 6th. Why did he pick that day and time? That's when Joe Biden was going to be certified as president of the United States. And he sent those people who chanted, hang Mike Pence. And you don't like Mike Pence that much anymore. You think he should have done more. And so did those people who charged in there because they've been fed a bill of goods by the president of the United States. Now, if I could prove all that, would you then be receptive to impeachment? You'd say, now I get it, Craig. If you can make the case that the big lie was created by Team Trump, deceived people like me, then he knew that he had some badass types who were really going to carry out violence on January 6th. If I could prove that to you, can you see the reason why impeachment is valid? You know, if you can prove something, if you've got evidence and you have a case, there could be grounds, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of interest in actually having a case. We know that, you know, within a few days of President Trump being inaugurated, they were talking about impeachment. You can see people like Whoopi Goldberg on The View saying impeachment is a thing, and that was in just a couple of days. So it does make me question the motives when we've been throwing around this word over every little thing. If you want people to take impeachment seriously, then use it when it's actually appropriate and don't just throw it around every time President Trump does something that you don't like or every time you're looking for a reason to impeach him. Got it. How do you feel about (laughs) Joe Biden? You wish him good luck. And what about Kamala Harris? I'll never forget the last time we talked, you said Kamala is a communist. Do you still feel that way? I do feel that way. I don't like Kamala Harris. I don't think she's a good role model for women. I don't think that she loves our country. I don't think she loves our constitution. Joe Biden, I I have mixed feelings about. I actually feel bad because we can clearly see he's on the mental decline. And I honestly think he just needs to retire peacefully with his family. But I wish them the best. I, I hope that they preserve something of our country in their administration. And finally, you've been so generous with your time. And it's like taking (laughs) the pulse of the Colorado Republican Party. But the female (laughs) viewpoint is really important on Kamala Harris. And what about our new Colorado representative, Lauren Boebert? Do you know her? And how do you feel she's doing? I have met her briefly a couple of times. I was a little bit hesitant about her candidacy and her goals at the beginning. I, she's obviously a newcomer. I was a newcomer, so I you know, don't have a lot of room to talk. But I think that she has taken the bull by the horns. I think that she is doing a great job and kind of standing up and, and keeping balance and reminding people about what our country stands for. And I think it'll be interesting to see how she does. So far, I think she's doing a great job. I know that she's a strong supporter of QAnon as well. I hope that she distances herself a little bit from that. So you know, people can look at her just for what she's doing instead of constantly bringing up QAnon. What about the fact that on the morning of January 6th, she tweeted it's 1776? Not entirely sure what she meant by that. I know that day or the day before she was defending her right to carry 
within the Capitol to, to uh, conceal and carry within the Capitol. Right. But 1776, what happened then? The war with uh, George Washington. Right. The birth of our nation, a revolution. Yep. Yes. And and are you down with the new revolution? Because that was also the slogan of the Oath Keepers, three percenters. They all regarded January 6th as the beginning of a revolution. And I'm just wondering, as a Denver mother, are you down with that? I am down with, however, you know, we need to keep, we need to maintain our constitution. We need to maintain our rights. I don't want to see a civil war. I don't want to see the level of division that we're seeing right now. I worry about, you know, retaliation against my my kids because of my personal political beliefs. You know, I worry about the way people treat each other and the way that, you know, conservatives have been targeted and just, you know, the level of retaliation that people seem to think is okay, even down to uh, physically attacking people. So I have, you know, more optimism. I'm hoping that that's not the direction we're headed, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Samantha, you are so good to come on my show. Give me <laughs> a window into what's going on out there. And I always appreciate yeah. it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Take care, Samantha. You too. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, will you just do this for me? Go to my website at CraigSilvermanShow.com. Scroll down and look at that picture of my pal, Dan Levitt. He's a professional sales trainer and coach with Sandler Training. Now, Sandler has been doing this for many decades with great success. If you are in the sales business, then you need some training. Maybe you have already had it. God bless you. But if you feel like you are falling short, that you can learn some skills that could increase your income, Sandler knows what to do. And my friend Dan Levitt knows as well. Look at his face on my website and tell me if that little smile on his face does not make you want to smile back. I do, and I don't smile all the time. But Dan Levitt is fun to talk to, and he will give you a great deal if you say, Craig sent me. Call Dan Levitt. First look at his picture, smile back, 303-829-2107. 303-829-2107 for the best possible deal. Tell Dan Craig sent me. Thank you. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at MB law llc.com
I love that show. David Lane, thanks a lot for giving me the better part of an hour of learning about you, your interesting life, and your valued opinions. Always welcome in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. We are going to cover the trial of the century set for my beautiful wife Trish's birthday, February 8th. That's when the Senate trial begins. And it could be explosive and important. And we are going to be all over it in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Thanks as always to my troubadour. Love that song. Give me this job. Samantha Cook, wow, you are wonderful to put up with me and to give me your honest opinion. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.